Welcome back to Black Hoodie Alchemy, folks. I'm your host, Anthony Tyler, and you were listening on the Fringe FM, at least initially. That's what this is brought to you by. Maybe you're listening on Spotify or whatever. This episode is going to be 420 heavy. Uh, I think this comes out before 420, but this will be 420 week. So what is that all about? Um, Hitler's birthday? Yes, but no, not this episode. Um, the Columbine High School Massacre? Mm, yeah, yeah, but no, not this episode. No. What we're talking about here is weed, man. Like Zoink Scoob, we're gonna talk about some weed and get stoned, man. Maybe you won't. I won't be smoking during this recording, but I rest assured I'm very stoned right now. And um, I'm looking forward to this. We're not going to talk about, like, cannabis prohibition so much and the war on drugs and some of the standardized things that hopefully most, if not all of you, are a little bit familiar with. We'll get into some of the ancient history, some of the mysticism, um, some magical works actually written on the use of cannabis in magic. And we'll probably talk about some psychedelics as well, but we'll keep it cannabis heavy. I'll go as long as I can and rest assured I have plenty that I could talk about on the subject. Um, So firstly, you know, uh, a little bit of tone setting. I remember um, Tim Leary saying in an interview back in the 70s once, and I'm not a fan of Tim Leary either. I think he's kind of pretentious and annoying, but uh, this quote has stuck with me where he said something like, in the future, people will be looking at chemical, psychotropic chemicals in the way they look at designer clothing what kind of clothes do you wear kind of says something about an individual what kind of drugs do you use that also says something about an individual and that is pretty true it is definitely pretty true i think that's uh, an interesting sentiment i also think it's at least an interesting sentiment when he wrote his book uh describing the tibetan book of the dead like a um a psychedelic experience i don't think that that's that's certainly not all that might not even be the probably in fact it it most certainly was not the driving route behind uh, the tibetan book of the dead though maybe some of those monks were ingesting some sort of psychedelics um but point being i think it is interesting that tim leary noted the commonalities between the psychedelic experience and um a soul being reincarnated essentially I, i think at least archetypal archetypally allegorically it's not even that long of a read. Um, I didn't regret reading that book, but a lot of Tim Leary's work is just kind of drivel, honestly. So, um, and he's a little bit associated with cannabis, but obviously more so LSD. Um, so if we don't, depending on how much we get into that with this episode, that'll definitely be um, something we discuss more in the future. But cannabis. Um, shout out to... Um, a fellow researcher, Chris Bennett. He's not like a close friend of mine, but he's someone that I have talked with a couple times uh, throughout the years here. Um, one of those times being recently. So um bounced back and forth a little bit. He at least knows my name. Um, I believe I sent, I actually sent him a copy of Dive Manual. Um, I don't ask for follow-ups or anything. I just send them for fun. But So he's someone bouncing around, but this guy is someone who's been very well established, uh, duly so because he's a very legitimate cannabis activist. 
And Chris Bennett has done quite a bit of work at just, you know, cannabis activism in general, but he's also done a great deal of research into the esoteric history of cannabis um, and has uh, has been received very well, you know, has definitely uh, made some um, groundbreaking leadway in cannabis studies. And I mean, we know now that firstly, uh, you know, setting down a couple things, cannabis has been used for like well over 10,000 years by the human species, if not longer at this point. Um, because we have the endocannabinoid system in our brains and in our gut, and that is literally the same um, chemical structure as the plant cannabinoids. It's not like opium where uh, it, it's very curious how the opium seems to mimic the endorphin receptor so seamlessly. Um, this is actually, it doesn't mimic it seamlessly. It is the same thing. So in order to get that, we have had to uh, go uh, through an adaptation process as a species that is, I'm not even sure how long, but the plant is literally integrated into our physical biology. And it's not even an exaggeration. So uh, there's something really wild going on there, just first and foremost. And then, um, you know, some of the the, the work that uh, Chris Bennett's done is looking into um, comparative religion and the symbols throughout. And he makes very, very interesting cases for um, cannabis being used in um, Hindu culture with, uh, with Soma and, uh, we, you know, in some cases we could definitely see it being used um for thousands and thousands of years alongside opium in asian culture specifically chinese um with the taoists and and um there it was in medical compendiums of the chinese um i i believe wasn't it the chinese that invented the water bong i'm like 99.9 percent .9 sure about that at least as far as modern record is concerned maybe the atlanteans invented the water bong <laughs> But Chris Bennett also makes very interesting cases for um, the fact that the the Buddha subsisted off of hemp seed underneath the the, the Bodhi tree during his uh, like final temptations, and um, as well he makes a case that um, some of the anointing oil that Christ was using um, involved cannabis oil. So, and 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 that involves. Um, um, miracles like curing the sick, like ridding people of demons, which we know to be largely focused around um, epileptic seizures. So, but it, it definitely seems like, um, or it's irrefutable that it's been used the world over to, in varying degrees, time immemorial. Um, the only thing that we can really wrestle with, or that still needs to be wrestled with, are some of the semantics. I'm going to read a, a quick excerpt from one of Chris Bennett's books. Um, Hemp has played a prominent role in the development of the religions and civilizations of Asia, the Middle East, Europe, and Africa. Uh, the sacramental use of marijuana predates written history, and this tradition continues with diverse tribes in Africa, certain Hindu sects, uh, Muslim fakirs, Rastafarians, uh, as well as modern occultists and pagans. Indeed, marijuana has been employed for insight and ecstasy by members of virtually every major religion in history. Knowledge and use of the sacred cannabis tree of life predates the oldest deciphered written records. The Hindus of India took this knowledge with them when they left the Hindu Kush mountains. The traditions continued with the ancient Egyptians, the Zoroastrians, 
uh, parentheses, Persia revered cannabis, the white hoama, along with the tree of all seed. Okay, so he's equating uh, cannabis to the tree of life here. Um, the Scythians, enigmatic magi of the north, and their trading partners, the Thracians, spread this information throughout Europe and the Mediterranean, uh, perhaps as Dr. Eldritch um, seems to suggest, Dr. Aldrich, not Eldritch, like Eldritch Horrors in Lovecraft, <laughs> um, perhaps our quest to partake in the cannabis tree of life unmolested is the same story that has been told since Gilgamesh found and lost the flower of eternity over 5,000 years ago. Perhaps it is the Perhaps it is the same story depicted on the Scythian carpet found with two censers containing burnt cannabis residues, which has the repeated design of a horseman approaching the great goddess who holds the tree of life in one hand. Perhaps it is the same story as that of Parzifal's quest for the Holy Grail. The collective desire to obtain the tree of life is, a, is an expression of our deepest yearnings to know the great mystery beyond beginnings and endings compounded with the desire to escape the endless cycle of titillations and antagonisms um, of the senses teasing us in the great mysterious cosmos of experience boom mic drop bam hell yeah that's what i'm fucking talking about all right that was uh, that was pretty damn good wasn't it all right now again is some of that debatable sure we can wrestle semantics of some of the uh the the stories like maybe cannabis wasn't used always that maybe certain symbols like the tree of life uh, wasn't always predominantly used for cannabis but was cannabis used to symbolize the tree of life absolutely it certainly seems to be the case time and time again um, so it, it, we can see that cannabis has certainly been used again throughout time immemorial and if anyone really is disputing that at this point, they just don't understand the history or the science. Some people will continue to dispute those things, but it's just um, a real ignorant argument. I mean, we know that uh, George Washington and many of the founding fathers were growing hemp, and were not only doing that, but actually separating the male plants from the female plants, which, for those that don't know, uh, is creating the smokable marijuana bud. Because uh, the 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 bud that we all smoke is actually on a like a technical level the uterus of the plant that's being uh, pollinated so interesting fact there uh, we get into like the sacred masculine and feminine in ways that are not sexually masculine and feminine they're more archetypal forces of nature and um we also know that uh many as uh, the quote said many esotericists and occultists have been interested in the use of in the use of marijuana and hashish uh, all these concentrates and tinctures and things um, Alistair Crowley actually wrote an essay called the psychology of hashish once and there's some interesting food for thought in there again I think Crowley was a, kind of like a spoiled trust fund brat essentially but you know he was smart still he was just also crazy and uh nihilistic and narcissistic but uh here's some quotes for you perhaps hashish is the drug which loosens the girder of the soul but it is in itself neither good nor bad perhaps uh, it merely exaggerates and distorts the natural man and his mood of the moment um see he also examines some of the side effects which i think is is fun 
because he's sort of um, explaining them from the uses of a magical metaphysical standpoint. So one, the volatile aromatic effect. This, the first effervescent symptom, gives the thrill described by Ludlow as of a new pulse of power pervading one. Psychologically, the result is that one is thrown into an absolutely perfect state of introspection. One perceives one's thoughts and nothing but one's thoughts, and it is as thoughts, uh, and it is as thoughts that one perceives them. So you're just perceiving them as they come in a fluid motion. Uh, material objects are only perceived as thoughts. In other words, in this respect, one possesses the direct consciousness of idealism. The ego and the will are not involved. There is introspection of an almost, if not quite purely, impersonal type. That and nothing more. Whoa, man. I'm just going to have to toss some of those in there for fun. It's 420, baby. All right. Um, number two, the toxic hallucinative effect, brother. With a sufficiently large dose, man, for it is possible to get effect A only as a transient phenomena. The images of thought pass more rapidly through the brain, at last vertiginously fast. They are no longer recognized as thoughts, man, but imagined as exterior. The will and the ego become alarmed and may be attacked and overwhelmed. This constitutes the main horror of the drug, man. It is to be combated by a highly, may I say, magically trained will, dude. I trust my readers will concede that the practice of ceremonial magic and meditation, all occult theories apart, do lead the mind to immense power over its own imaginations. Is that too much? <laughs> it was all real though. I was just reading in a fun voice, man. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna finish it off. There's not much longer. Oh, the fear of being swept away in the tide of relentless images is a terrible experience. Woe to who yields. Three, the narcotic effect. One simply goes off to sleep, man. This is not necessarily due to brain fatigue induced by uh, one or two. For with one sample of cannabis, it uh, I found it to occur independently. Simple impressions in normal consciousness are resolved by hashish into a concatenation of hieroglyphs of a purely symbolic type. All right, might have lost some listeners with that. That's okay. <laughs> uh. Okay, if you were distracted by that voice, basically what Crowley was saying, uh, the main thrust of it was that if you get past the, uh, like, potential agitation, like, you know, maybe some anxiety, paranoia, um, or on the other end, the sleeplessness, or the sleepfulness, um, sleepiness, and the, uh, the, the appetite and things, you get into this hypnotic state of self-clarity and introspection, which... I definitely think is very true. Um, and I mean, cannabis has saved my life for some physical ways and some some mental alleviation for these exact ways as well that Crowley's talking about, uh, like truly, genuinely. So, not only are those people, we'll get into hypnosis in a second, but not only are those people that call it the devil's lettuce, severely uneducated, 
but also the people that are turning their nose up at you saying like, oh, you you smoked a bowl and then meditated. Oh, that's not real meditation. You're a chump or you're a poser. They're also full of it. They have no idea what they're talking about at all. Just period. End of story. Um, and that's not to say that what they do doesn't work for them, but the fact that you can use cannabis for things like meditation, you know, it, it, it radically reduces inflammation on a physical level, so that's going to help quite a bit. Um, and, you know, let us not forget that there are many sides to cannabis and its therapy, and it doesn't have to be psychoactive for it to be relieving. I know I said we'd get into hypnosis a little more, but that is kind of a whole different subject in and of itself, and just so, sort of a recurring theme throughout uh, this show, uh, and, and mysticism in general, and suffice it to say for now that uh, uh, hypnosis can be stretched quite a ways in terms of uh, storytelling, and it is a really slippery slope for empirical investigation, uh, but... The fact that it's a real thing in practice um, and the fact that it does have genuine therapeutic benefit is scientifically validated. Now, um, even the stuff of like hypnotists being able to make people do whatever they want, that's exaggerated as well. But hypnotic suggestibility is not. And in certain rare instances, it can be quite astounding. So, but the suggestibility factor is is uh is the 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 core motif of hypnotism in terms of the scientific paperwork and you know studies done on it as well and we can see that we don't know what all is going on but um hypnosis and this gets back into last episode a little bit as well hypnosis is a gateway to the nervous system through the unconscious mind again on a scientific level and um hypnosis can help with essentially tension reduction on a physical and psychological level and that's essentially what it boils down to you could get into more details from there but when you start getting into regressions of alien abductions and past lives it starts to get a little more less accredited but hypnosis as a principle is very sound uh, and cannabis is definitely there is a lot of science to show that um, cannabis does help you get into that state of hypnotic suggestibility so let's just talk about cannabis a little more. Let's break down some of the basics. For those that don't know, and for some that might want some additional material or some brushing up, you have the three basics. You have cannabis sativa and cannabis indica, uh, and then you have hybrids. It, but those are very general terms. Um, sativa is generally known to have the, it, it grows tall, lanky, with thin, long leaves. Indica grows fat and bushy with big thick leaves um, and sativa is known to be more of a cerebral high um, it's going to be something you know some strains they call headband it kind of feels like you have a headband feeling going on um, you know there's some strains called there's a strain called green crack you know so and then uh, indica is supposed to relax you either help calm you or maybe just straight up put you to sleep uh, but these are n not exactly scientific terms um, in terms like at how they break down with uh, indica being the sedative and sativa being the the upper. Um, it really boils down to uh, terpenes, which are the flavors, uh, the, 
that, that create the, the aromatic experience. And terpenes can be found in all sorts of different plants. It's just plant, natural plant flavor, you know, in a sense. And those have their own therapeutic effect. Um, they're not going to get you high. THC is the thing that gets you high, but it will modulate your mood. Um, and it will largely dictate if it's uppity or sedating. Um, purple strains are generally going to be more sedating. But um, everything is essentially a hybrid. Nothing is like pure. Nothing is really a pure strain anymore. Or if it is, it's very rare. So even when someone's saying there's a sativa strain, that's probably a hybrid too. Uh, it all just depends on where it leans. And so these are good uh, general rules of thumb uh, descriptions, but you know you got to try it for yourself. You got to see what strains work for you because everyone's chemistry is a little different. And something that might make someone really uppity might really relax you, um, and something that might make someone really sleepy might not make you sleepy. And it really just depends. Um, that's why cannabis is so fascinating. And it's kind of like wine in that sense. You can get, you can start looking into where it's grown, what it's grown with, what the environment was like, uh, how it was cured, how long it was cured, how it was trimmed. Maybe not so much how it was trimmed, but that does play a little bit of a role too. Uh, all of these things, especially like a curing process, um, really play such a huge role. The flushing process, making sure that there's no residual nutrients left in the plant. Or like a, a buildup because there's going to be some. It's a living plant. But I mean, and for those that don't know, um, really, um, you could get into a lot of the science behind it, uh, growing cannabis, and it's very fun and interesting. But if you were just lived in a sunny enough place, you could just throw some seeds out and uh, nourish them once they sprout with bat guano that you get at any plant store. And if you just leave that out in the sun, make sure it doesn't get infested or have any diseases. Just bat guano and sun and just letting it go. You're going to grow a cannabis plant. There's a reason they call it weed. Um, and I've actually, I've done a lot with cannabis for, you know, I've most of my adult life, I've either grown it or sold it. Um, sometimes illegally uh, for a long time now, it's all been legal. And right now I work in the medical cannabis industry. And I'm also a medical patient. Uh, I have an autoimmune disorder. I have really bad eczema that'll break out uh, in cannabis. Uh, all forms of it, topical and ingested, help with that. Um, I have stomach issues, chronic stomach pains that run in the family. It helps with that. And I've also, I got um, pretty legitimate anxiety at times. It used to be crippling. Uh, it hasn't been like that for a long time. Although like anybody, um, I, I can get pent up and feel really anxious or depressed uh, but there was a time where younger on where I was just a mess you know in high school all of high school essentially just severely cripplingly depressed anxious with panic attacks um, I ended up being put on antidepressants and mood stabilizers and benzodiazepines but it wasn't Xanax it was uh, oh, clonopin that's what it was uh, because my parents didn't want me to smoke weed at that time. So um, I got on those things and a lot of high school is just a blur for me. 
like especially interacting with people like i remember segments but it all just blends together which i know is a little common but for me i don't even remember people that remember me you'd think i'd at least recognize their face but i sometimes i don't even and they seem to really remember me um i don't know how many times that's happened but it's at least more than a couple and you know to any of those people um it's been more than a few it's been a handful of times for sure uh, and I, I, I've, I always thought of myself as someone that was like generally aware of my environment and I was not like a popular kid that was like well known either um, by everybody I was just another kid so it feels a little weird to me to completely forget some people granted they weren't close friends but I was pretty drugged out in high school just on pharmaceutical prescriptions and I was already an anxious mess so and then I ended up going to military school just because mostly of drugs I was smoking weed and eating mushrooms and my dad sent me to military school and after that I just started smoking more weed and eating more mushrooms and um, those things both saved my life truly they gave me a massive reset and there's something I will always advocate to this day I wouldn't be the same person I am without them I'm still you know, I'm still who I've always been, but it allowed me to flourish in certain ways that I feel that I doubt I would have found uh, at least so soon, at least so soon. And I'm very thankful for that. And if not for this reflective hypnotic state that Crowley talked about at the beginning, um, I would be a very different person. I would be much less adjusted. I'd be much more anxious and full of loathing and self-loathing probably and i'd honestly probably be addicted to different things you know like i i could have easily seen myself upping the benzo habit and maybe eventually getting into opiates or whatever else but thank god it was cannabis and mushrooms so but i've done i've sold weed i've grown it i've grown all sorts of different kinds i've grown it from seed i've cloned it um, I've grown one at a time, I've grown 10 at a time or 20, I've grown thousands at a time in a warehouse. Uh, and I did that for a little while. I did that for like a year in that warehouse. Um, and that was for an actual dispensary. And I've also done just about anything. I've made all the candies and cakes and cookies and concentrates and extracts that you can name. Uh, there's some of those extracts, the oils that get into... They're making all sorts of different kinds. It depends on how you extract it, what you extract it with. Is it cold? Is it hot? All these different things. How long after the plant was harvested? Every little tiny one of those things has changed. They give it a new name. So there's like 50 billion different extracts. Sauce, butter, um, and then there's just regular keef. Like all these things you could technically fit under the definition of like old school hash. These are just all the deviations um, friggin' meringue, um, rosin, resin, wax, it's just on and on, crumble, bubble hash, on and on, it's a little insane, that part, it, it, cannabis, it's grown so exponentially, so quickly, it can be a little bit of a headache to wrap your head around some of the things that are going on, uh, that's for sure, but all you really need to know is that you should smoke weed every day, I mean, in terms of science, uh, there are over like 200 cannabinoids. 
I haven't even begun to memorize all of those. There's so many of them. So if you're ever getting cannabis oils, you see like cancer treatment oil, they're full spectrum. They're all plant extract because you're getting everything that we know about and everything that we don't know about. And we know that it's all good for you at this point. So, uh, but the, the obviously the primary that everyone knows is THC. That has its own therapeutic effect, especially synergizing with the others. But then there's also CBD, which is the more calming. It's going to feel like you drank a sleepy time tea, and it's also going to get in there and alleviate muscle tension on a, on a pretty deep level, uh, especially if you take enough. CBD is food grade, so you literally can't overdose on it. You could take a whole bottle of tincture and maybe the worst that would happen is you might puke because that's a lot of cbd uh but if you didn't puke you just sleep you know, you know nothing's going to happen to you so then there's also cb1 and cb2 these are um also cannabinoids that help with uh anxiety and relief and they're not going to be psychoactive they're going to be closer to the cbd spectrum uh, and there's also the terpenes, as I mentioned, and then there's things like THCV, which is just a, obviously a deviation of THC. And um, I don't, I haven't even tried that one yet, but they make extracts of that as well. And it's just supposed to be like a cleaner sort of feeling, I guess. But they also they're CBN, uh, and that is something that's not psychoactive, but um, is similar to melatonin. And it's uh, it actually I have tried that it makes you less drowsy and it does actually help you get to sleep uh, pretty smoothly and nicely. I don't know all the neurochemistry behind CBN because that one's newer to me as well, but I have tried it and it is really nice. There's also CBG, <laughs> um, and that is something similar to CBD, but whereas CBD is might not necessarily make you sleepy, but it will calm you and relax you. CBG has anxiety relief, but it's not going to calm you. It's actually going to give you energy. So interesting things. And depending on what types of strains you grow and how you grow them and when you harvest them, you get different levels of these different things. And actually CBN happens or occurs when THC, um, the older THC gets and the more it dries out and like oxidizes I guess um, it becomes CBN so if you get some really really old crusty weed in a jar that's years old the THC has mostly converted into CBN so you will feel something and you might get an incredible sleep but you're not really going to get stoned in the way that you're looking for most likely at least not as much as you would want to but that takes a long time to happen and I'm not sure quite how long all right looks like we gotta roll into a quick commercial break so stay with me and then we'll finish talking about cannabis a little more and probably jump into some psychedelics smoke weed every day this is black hoodie alchemy i'm your host anthony tyler on the fringe fm we'll be right back From parapsychology to pop conspiracy, and from parapolitics to health and esoterica, I'm Ryan Gable, host of The Secret Teachings, and I'll bring you all of this and more five nights a week right here on The Fringe FM. 
by using critical thinking and objectivity as keys to understanding, utilizing, and appreciating the secret teachings of all ages. You can catch the secret teachings Monday through Friday right here on the Fringe FM after Joe Roop and Lighting the Void. Listen, as we explore the mysteries of the universe, the unknown, high strangeness, consciousness, and our human potential, Lighting the Void is an eclectic program that strives to ignite the late night with stimulating conversations. Join us on The Fringe FM. Musicians experience a lot of frustration with music marketing and promotion. They have no idea how to get their music heard. And they're spending hours sending emails, making phone calls, and hitting up their friends to promote them. With our industry-powered digital marketing platform, we can set up your media plan in minutes. Our team will automatically distribute your music across all the best channels, so you can focus on actually making the music. Submit your music today on our website at mymusicpromoter.com. That's mymusicpromoter.com. Do you want to escape the simulation? Well, join me, Jess Rogie, every week as we explore a variety of different realities to help expand our minds and find out a little more about this world we live in. Escape the simulation with me live every Wednesday at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern here on TheFringe.fm. The Natural Born Alchemist podcast is a podcast that covers topics like alchemy, shamanism, psychedelics, anarchism, and philosophy. Join Alex, that's me, and a multitude of guests on a quest to discover the nature of reality, of spirit, and of consciousness. Each episode will also introduce you to new music that you might never have heard before. You can find the podcast on most platforms. Simply search for Natural Born Alchemist or go directly to naturalbornalchemist.com. There you'll be able to find all the social media links as well. Freedom is in the mind. Thousands of people are having paranormal experiences with ghosts, demons, shadow people, dogmen, Bigfoot and more. Their stories need to be told, and they are being told. Dark Waters, the renowned storyteller, invites you to join at imdarkwaters.com. For just a few dollars a month, you can listen to some of the most hair-raising and compelling stories on the planet. You'll have access to real-life stories told by Dark Waters, thousands of hours of content. Their encounters are being told and told by the best at imdarkwaters.com. Listen to stories like The Rabbit Man, The Dogman Encounter in Silas, Alabama, The Man with No Face, The Other Woman, A Day Ahead of the Devil, Dogman Murder in Hurricane Ida, even a story of someone trying to kill a dogman, Louisiana Water Demon Stories. Sign up today and become a member at imdarkwaters.com. That's imdarkwaters.com. Yohoi there, it's Gigi from Shift Happens, and you're listening to the one and only Fringe FM. Well, at least I'd imagine so. I'm not sure how else, uh, you know, you'd be hearing this.
Welcome back to Black Hoodie Alchemy, folks. I am Anthony Tyler. We're here on the Fringe FM, and we're talking about cannabis. It's 420, or it's about to be uh, when I'm recording this and when this is releasing, so we are celebrating it. And we just got done talking a whole lot of good stuff about cannabis, everything from uh, practice in magic um, and its use in medicine and religious rites throughout history. You know, going back thousands and thousands of years. And we went into some of the basic knowledge of it today. And I will get into some of the downsides. There are some downsides. Uh, You probably shouldn't be smoking too young. I mean, that's fair enough. You want your brain to develop a little more. You know, at minimum, wait until you're 18. And that's me being the cool guy here. Like, you know, best case scenario, maybe until you're 21. But I have a lot of friends who start smoking when they were 12 and 13. And they're doing all right, but it's not advisable. You know, just at the very least, wait to start some habits like that. For sure. I think anyone would agree with that. Even the friends that started at that age. Um, I started when I was like, I first smoked when I was 16. I didn't start becoming a regular user until I was 18. And ever since then, I have taken tolerance breaks that have lasted for a month or two at a time. And I always go back. It always just improves my quality of life. I don't dream as much though. That is one major side effect to cannabis use is you won't dream as much. I still, I seem to have dreams when they're very impactful and very poignant and it's like my unconscious mind like grabbing by the shoulders good or bad and being like whoa hey what's going on here look at this um and that'll happen every once in a while and other than that i don't remember any dreams but you know that's something i might have to work on personally because there have been times in my life where dreams have been really integral and very powerful and uh, kind of unexplainable at times so, yeah, that's something to uh, to be aware of. You'll probably have very vivid dreams when you start using it, and then once you start using it chronically, not so much. I mean, obviously, a lot of people know that you might overeat, you might become paranoid. Uh, you also might become super lazy, though, and you might undereat. That does happen with some people. But, you know, it's like a tool, like anything else. If you use it properly, and especially, some people just don't need it. And the way their neurochemistry is set up, they just feel kind of derailed and they can only use it to relax a little bit at night. And then there's some people like myself that can just smoke it all day, every day. And I don't anymore. I sometimes do. But um, I've worked on more uh, just... There's a difference. There's a fine line between medical use and just habitual use, right? And for me, it's in it's been in the same thing. It's been both cannabis. There have been times where I've abused cannabis, not in ways where it was necessarily hard to bounce back from, but in ways where I was severely overcompensating, especially when I was younger. Um, and I don't even really regret those times because I really was a mess and it was better to be comfortable and really stoned. But it just got to a point after a while where I could have tapered back sooner, and I just didn't. I just stayed high a lot for a little while. And there's nothing wrong with that, but if anything, it becomes a little emotionally lazy. It doesn't always have to be, um, but it just, it can be. You know, I, I wasn't being, 
I still did things. I was always pretty active. Um, you know, cannabis helps me with anxiety. So I've always just, I've always had plenty of energy for the most part. But there's no denying that if you're not careful, it can get to a point where instead of dealing with emotions, you just avoid them and then smoke a joint. But then it also goes back to how you use it. Do you do your best in that situation to, uh, to navigate the emotions? And then once you're done, go and smoke a joint and then reflect on it and what you could have done better, how you handled things well, you know, the pros and cons, and then set that aside in a comfortable way that helps you move forward. If you did the second thing, then like, congratulations. I think that that's the best case scenario. And that's how I use it. But you can also use it as a crutch. And sure, yeah, I've definitely used it as a crutch in the past. And we'll all slip into that from time to time. But as long as that's not the standard. You know, for me, there I could put it like this. There was a time where I didn't want to go into public unless I was stoned. Which is kind of crazy for some people who have anxiety while they're high. Me, I... The only time I could be in public around a certain number of people was if I was really stoned. Now I can do the op. I, I, I don't have to be stoned, but it does kind of help loosen the girder, as Crowley said, um, even still. So I could put it like this. If, we were, if I was drafted into Vietnam, I'd be one of the first guys to snap. I have an autoimmune disorder. I have a history of anxiety and depression. Um, which I don't anxiety a little bit still um, a depression not so much not more than the average person um, and, and it's been like that for a long time but I can tell you that in a really intense scenario like I think about war just being the the ultimate worst case scenario of in terms of life changing there's nothing else that would really be something like that except for you know not even like like all technology being destroyed would it really be the same war you're just out there it's a totally different dog eat dog environment and survivalist obviously so out there even with how comfortable i feel with myself and my capabilities i would snap before too long because this is the thing i can be sober um in my environment not just my house but like you know i can go out and do things sober it's not a problem um but if I am, if I just traveled, like take it out of wartime, I just traveled 12 hours on a plane and I'm in a foreign country, like I at least need a drink. I'm not someone that could just continue the sobriety throughout that. I'm going to be discombobulated and hopefully if it's not going to get me arrested, I would like a joint. Um, you know, so those are things like, yeah, it definitely helps a lot. Um, so if I was in war, it, I would be discombobulated and then I wouldn't be able to find my center and I would just spiral. I would just spiral. Um, so yeah, like I can, I can function just fine without it, but does it help me and improve my quality of life? 100% big time. So yeah, definitely. If there is a draft, you can rest assured I will not be, um, taken um, without a fight, I guess. <laughs> Honestly, I'll probably just um, leave. Um, here's just some other things, you know, about cannabis consumption for anybody to know as someone that's been in the industry for quite a while. 
Um, you don't need to be paying more than $50 for an 8th, and really that's pretty expensive too. Some places, I've seen $60 an 8th. I've seen in the Bay Area or in Silicon Valley, especially in California, like over $100 for an 8th. That's standard $40 on the street. It's like $20 in Colorado on the street now. So don't, if you can help it, pay more than $40 for an 8th, 200 for an ounce. I mean... That's it's some people are buying cannabis like designer handbags and there's just a whole culture to it in that sense and it's a little ridiculous uh, and it's just the byproduct of capitalism not that I'm completely shitting on capitalism but there yeah there's downsides to it and although smoking is great and I very much enjoy it oral ingestion is definitely the best way to go even better than uh, like vapor inhalation at that point there are some of those uh, scientific studies that show that um, chronic cannabis use can lead to condensed gray matter in the brain, but it doesn't show it's marginal and it doesn't show any reduction in any sort of performance. So some people tried to spin that as like cannabis eating your brain, but didn't play very well because the science doesn't hold up at all. You know, it's just, um, it's just a byproduct. We're all operating the same way. And um, there's also been some studies to show that cannabis might not, in the same vein of that emotional laziness I was talking about, there might be, you know, it might not help with certain disassociative uh, cognitive issues. It doesn't make people schizophrenic, obviously, but if you're a schizophrenic, you probably should definitely not be smoking weed. Uh, it's not going to help. And psychedelics aren't going to help either. And... There is, with that suggestibility factor with cannabis in that hypnotic way, there is a potential to use it for less than positive, suggestible things. You know, like there's, it's, um, you know, like mostly in the, in the, in the mafia, they're smoking cigars and stuff, but there's plenty of, um, instances in organized crime. I'm not just talking about like, inner city gangs or anything like that although that's a that's a uh, an easy example but you know we could look all over the place at organized crime there's a lot of organized crime that will take all sorts of drugs uh cannabis included before they go out and perform crimes and if you're already in that mindset and you're just trying to use something to numb yourself into an altered state of consciousness enough to just get out there and to just go buck wild on um a different gang or something like that like yeah it certainly can. Um, and so there are some cases where people have tried to show that cannabis and its uh, disassociative qualities can actually lead to aggression. But it that doesn't really, it's not like, it's definitely not in the same way that people are getting drunk and then going from normal to violently angry because of the alcohol. It's people using, angry people using cannabis to further get into a state where they feel more confident and capable being aggressive in which is weird but there yeah there's some um there's some legitimacy to that and you know for the most part i think that pretty much covers it in terms of a general overview of cannabis um the ancient history the metaphysical practice and application of it uh, some of the science the the hypnotic and the the anti-inflammatory mechanisms some of the chemistry behind it uh, and some of the culture. So, um, w you know, we have a little bit more time, so I'll talk about psychedelics a little bit because 
I mean, technically speaking, cannabis is considered a psychedelic. It's classified as such. It's Schedule One, but when you look into just the general family structures of drugs and how they operate in the brain, cannabis is a psychedelic. And if you've ever taken a tremendous amount of edibles, uh, you will know that this is true. Except for the certain amount of people that actually can't process THC through their liver. There is a small percentage of people that simply cannot get high off of edibles. And if you are one of those people, I'm very sorry. Because that sucks. But, you know, is cannabis, cannabis can certainly be a double-edged sword. Just like psychedelics can be a double-edged sword. We've talked about some of the, the pros and cons of cannabis there. And uh, culturally speaking, we can see that there's like cannabis tourism and i'm not even talking about in the sense of markets um although i'm def I de that definitely plays a role but i mean like intellectual tourism as well like people dabbling but not really understanding the full processes of things um and things just kind of like a lot of grapevine things happening you know things being passed through the grapevine and things being distorted and whatnot and you have to be careful because everything is a tool because Sure, you can certainly say that cannabis is being used to placate the masses, some sort of opium of the masses. You know, everything has its ups and downs, and it falls on the individual what you decide to use that for. But you know, if nothing else, I am a um, a perfect example. Not perfect. I mean, you get what I mean, though. I'm I'm a very stark example of someone that is very functional. I'm, I'm average. I'm eccentric. I do a show like this, but you know, I have, I hold down a job. I have a girlfriend. I'm interactive with my family. This is, uh, you know, I'm, I'm perfectly normal, man. Um, and I'm not fat either. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but I don't even eat that much. Um, so you can see that it really just depends on what type of effects a person gets from the cannabis in the same way that I've been framing faith and belief throughout all these episodes that I've done. It all depends more so on what you're using and or less uh, what you're using and more so how you're using it. You know, more often than not, the difference between medicine and poison is the dose. And psychedelics are no different. Psychedelics have definitely been used. You know, all you got to do is look into MK Ultra to see that um, in a sense, they have been leaked to the public in some ways to placate the masses and sort of this brave new world sense of let's just make that give them what they want to feel good so that they stop questioning things. Now, it all depends, again, how you're using it and how it's framed because psychedelics can make you question everything. But in certain cases you know just look into the history of cults they can de psychedelics can definitely be used for brainwash and they've been used time immemorial uh, just like cannabis they've been used in religious uh, and mystical ceremonies um, sometimes to liberate and enlighten and sometimes to indoctrinate and brainwash but in many cases the results speak for themselves you don't have um, you don't have a strong running history with, uh, with mushrooms that you do with methamphetamine, where most of the time, pretty much always, if a person does methamphetamine long enough, they're going to lose their minds, they're going to be teeth-grinding maniacs that are probably violent, 
And honestly, if you use mushrooms the right way, um, and you're not just trying to like chase a dragon and abuse them, you'll feel intrinsically after one or two times, you know, in succession, like, wow, I've, I wouldn't want to squander this feeling I have right now. I need to think about these things and what I've experienced and what I've felt and take a step back from the mushrooms. You know, there's a really great quote. I know it's kind of pretentious to bring up Tool and Maynard James Keenan, but Tool is great, man. I didn't like their newest album so much, but Anima is an absolute classic. I love it. And I'm going to be paraphrasing, but you could Google it. And Keenan says, like, psychedelics are a great tool, but there's something that you should take, you know, take like a heroic dose of, um, have some life-changing epiphanies, and then consider those things for the next 10 years or something. You don't have to wait that long, but the point is take a break and integrate those things that you learned into your life. And then once you've integrated them uh, and sifted through them and um, feel comfortable and confident with those steps you've taken, and then perhaps you have some more questions when that time comes and you need more questions answered, then you do it again, but you don't just do it in rapid succession. Unless maybe you're trying to break yourself from like a heroin addiction or something like that. Because that's something too, you know. Um, that's a little bit of a different story because if you take a strong enough dose of something like ayahuasca or especially iboga, uh, you could break your chemical dependencies in one dose. And that's going to be one of the most soul-bending, mind-warping experiences of your entire life. But you might have a clean slate. And there's a lot of science to show that too, undoubtedly. So are drugs, especially cannabis and psychedelics, are they some opium of the masses, something to placate us while our puppet strings are pulled all the more? Well, sometimes. But certainly not always, and that's certainly not what they've done mostly. And if anything, if there's anyone giving us these drugs, cannabis, and psychedelics to help pull the puppet strings. Truly, it seems it's because the genie's been out of the bottle for a long time. They know these drugs are useful and mind-expansive and cathartic, and the only thing they can do is try and veer those into different dead-end directions to try and get people to, you know, at its cheapest angle, it's just capitalism. It's just trying to people make a it's just people trying to make a buck off of the next thing, the next big market, whether it's psychedelic tourism or cannabis tourism. At its worst, it's people um, trying to brainwash and indoctrinate, which at the very least we know that the elite are somewhat interested in through things like MKUltra. Okay, so some people might blow that out of proportion but we know that they do have interest in these things in actual indoctrination of the masses on a psychotropic level so we got to keep those things in mind but smoke weed every day man especially if you want to um and i hope you do a little bit today or this week especially on 420 so happy 420 everybody thank you for going down this cannabis rabbit hole with me one of these episodes will do a deeper dive into psychedelics this is Black Cody Alchemy. I'm your host, Anthony Tyler. This is the Fringe FM. I hope to see y'all next time.